Welcome to the Jess Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. This episode, I'm excited to have my good friend back, Mo Reeder. Mo, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, so let's start right off the bat. What's vSchool? We are an education platform that helps people break into tech. So we're a school, but the, the platform itself is about creating jobs and opportunities that way, not just a bucket of curriculum. Um, we're training people on the available jobs out there. We partner with industry to make sure that people are working. So... Uh, I think about the years we've known each other yeah. and like, I, you're so different than most of my tech friends, which is like okay. a major compliment in certain ways. Okay. Certain ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, even know what that means. Well, because you're like, you, the way that you mix art and like, I'm an art school dropout. I went to school for illustration. Okay. Like the way that you're bringing art and culture into everything. And you're like, you're, you're like always like, every time I see you, it's like, Hey, guess what? We just ran this new program for teaching tech to women in Abu Dhabi or something like you, you're always yeah. like experimenting in these ways that, uh, that I just don't see other people do. And it's kind of been inspirational. Thank you. I'm lucky that my partners are just as crazy, uh, crazy in the right ways, right? Like it is about inclusion. It is about diversity. Art and tech are really only interesting together. I find both are kind of stale and even boring if they don't touch each other. We also think that like the feminine touching, tech is also like essential and it makes it just way more interesting. Like we've, we've all been to those places where like the bro culture is like super high and, and tech can feel kind of like daunting, unapproachable, uh, kind of stale. And um, yeah, that's kind of the absolute opposite of, uh, of what makes us tick. Yeah. So you think about since 2016, mm. um, kind of these these last six years of success, so many other folks haven't made it. What do you think that you've done differently? We partner with industry. So we don't teach the fluff. You know, our actual core business is directly aligned with industry. So where are the jobs? Like, what do people want to hire for? And we work backward with industry leaders to make sure that we're literally providing the skills to folks that that have a job on the other side. So again, yeah, it's not about just like time. Time's a terrible indicator of mastery. For us, it's like, let's help folks master the technical skills necessary and make the, the job introductions when, when necessary. And most people need those intros, right? When you and I went to school, like you went to art school, I was a percussion major as well. I was a jazz musician, right? But, and then I switched business, but I remember coming out of my business school and I went to a really good school, um, but without a single introduction. Right. And I don't think that's unique. I think that's most, unless you go to maybe the right Ivy league or, you know, something, it, you know, for me personally, I would, I would trade, right. My MBA to keep my Twitter account. <laughs> like that's far more helpful in, uh, in making lasting friendships and partnerships and like moving the needle for business. And that's what we do within our school as well. So it's the mastery, it's the skills and it's the introductions and it's the opportunities you said, do crazy things, whatever, you know, like we're throwing X amount of events and parties and whatever on the surface. It might be look like, you know, we're just having a good time, but in the actual, you know, in the actual party, like that is that those are the hiring partners, right? That's a, that's a far easier way to make friendships yeah. when you're, when you're actually having fun. So I want to talk about your background in general assembly and all these things. Okay. But before okay. we do any of this stuff. All right. So if I'm an individual who's like, man, I want to make more money or I'm just interested in a career in tech. What are, what are degrees, certificates, programs? Like what, what are you guys good at? What should they come learn from you? Or if I'm like at a corporation, I'm like, Hey, we need to upskill our people or Thank you. we want to retrain a bunch of our folks, um, give them some tech skills. Like 
What's V-School known for? What are you guys better than at the competition? Thank you. So on the B2C side, if you're a consumer that wants to break into industry, we teach coding and UI UX design. We just launched cybersecurity and there's tons of jobs in those spaces, as we all know. In 2023, we're going to launch, you know, a handful of new curriculums and then we're working on that right now. So super excited. Um, and how long is the program for UX UI, for instance? As long as you need it to be. Okay. There's no time. And so the average time it's taking folks is about six months to, to, to come in with zero experience and leave a UI UX designer with industry connections. You don't actually graduate until you have a job. And everybody is different, right? Like it's really asinine to think that like a school can just teach like one certain way. We're all different. We're all individual. We're all unique. And some people have jobs. Most people have multiple jobs. Some folks have families. And so again, we're, we're catering to the person, to the individual and uh, not the other way around. So it can take as long as you need to. If it takes you a year, great. If it takes you three months and you can blitz through it because you've got the time, that's also great. Everybody's different. Um, that was the B2C. Yeah, yeah. B2B, we can go to companies and we're doing that right now with a handful of awesome startups and some established companies as well, some bigger um, companies. If they want their customer service folks to learn a technical skill, uh, we can do that. If you want us to go to your dev team and train those folks on say JavaScript, like we can do that. And so also retraining and uh, reskilling current customers so you can retain those folks and get them higher up the ladder. That's been a real fun thing that we've been uh, doing this year. And so, you know, there's there's lots of places that claim to teach my employees that why why is a business leader might I prefer school? Well, custom build it to you. Mm. What's your actual stack? You know, what is it you want your folks to actually learn? We've got those people in our network and they're our friends. And so we're doing that specifically with a handful of awesome companies. Like we went to them, we're friends anyway. And so, you know, through conversation, it's like, here's my big pain. Like, I wish my folks knew this. I could retain them better. You know, I could, you know, pay them more, like whatever. We can, we can custom build curriculum for businesses specifically. We're big enough that we pack, pack a mean punch. You know, we've got those industry connections. We're small enough that we can custom build for you. We're like that sweet middle. Okay, I love it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about preview school. Okay. Um, General Assembly, other things. Give people like the quick bio and then I've got some questions. Sure, education. So starting first with like more traditional, you know, from the Apollo Group to UCLA Extension, you know, I ran these like schools and then General Assembly in San Francisco, like you mentioned, I came to Dev Mountain uh, with another boot camp that was acquired. So when Dev Mountain was acquired, um, through all that experience, you know, Half the time you learn exactly what you want to implement when it's your turn. Half the time you learn exactly what you won't and you don't ever want to implement. And so we had like a, a, a master list of all the things. I joined forces with Michael Zaro and Guy Harding uh, who were actually building a dev shop. At the, they were running a dev shop at the time. So it was that experience, like my education experience and um, the culture, the community side, and then plus like their technical kind of like prowess. Um, they were the best that I knew in the game at, uh, at creating like a, a dev shop that was like, you know, training up or basically, well, so that's how it worked. So the dev shop eventually had so many jobs that they couldn't fulfill the work that they had without training more people. So they had started a small school. Turned out I had run a few of those, small, large, huge. And so like that combination of, of tech talent plus education um, turned out to be a really nice fit. So uh, let's start... I want to pick on UCLA for a minute. Mm. What, what did you learn from that experience that wasn't in the books? Like, what's something that stuck with you from your time there? So I worked for a really smart guy. Um, 
I'd say quasi like scary smart, like so smart, so established. Um, and this individual had been charged with creating a for-profit version, an arm under UCLA extension that was for-profit, basically taking this individual put GPS and cell phones. Like that was his claim to fame, sold that for um, a, a massive amount of money to Qualcomm. So that was kind of his claim to fame. And, and through that experience, right, he was like, look, I can put education on an iPad and I can do this with large universities like UCLA. So he brought me in on uh, on the on the team, right? So I, it was our team of, of sales folks and also um, counselors that basically were helping people through uh, UCLA Extension and specifically the tech programs. So in that experience, um, I learned a ton. I've actually never shared this like outside of with a small handful of friends. Um, so thanks for the opportunity. Like what I learned from that was it went away. In the end, it was it was purchased, but I didn't understand how tech startups even worked. It was my first taste of like startup culture, but it was within UCLA. So it was like what made sense to me, like education, but sales also made sense to me too. That was that was easy to wrap my head around. We, we created the best team of, of counselors that help people. But what I didn't understand was it could work and it could not work. And sometimes it being acquired means you still go away. And so our team like went away and um, I was in shock, right? Like I'd never like experienced that. I'd never like been out of work, you know? And this is maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And, and I went to this individual and um, I hadn't called my wife yet. I was like scared and I didn't understand. Like I thought we were killing it. We were, we were killing it. He did, he was able to, to, to sell that portion of the school to like a larger organization. And I was like, hey, um, what do I do? Like, and he goes, what do you mean? What do you do? I'm like, I just, I, I don't know what to do next. You know, like, like what just happened? And he goes, you're Mo Reader. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, like, I'm like, try not to cry. You know, like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, that's all you need. You're Mo Reader. You, you're fine. And, uh, and that was one of the hugest, you know, biggest compliments I think I've ever received. At the time, it felt like a kick in the gut. And, uh, and I walked outside, took a walk, you know, for five, 10 miles, you know, like I was out there trying to find my, my place in the world before I called my wife. But I was like, you know what though, what a compliment. He wasn't worried about me, truly. I think if he had been, I think he's a good enough guy that he would have helped me out. Um, but he wasn't worried. He's like, you're gonna definitely land on your feet. This experience that you just received. Well, and then he told me like, so part of that conversation too was like, you should have told me that um, I didn't know I could give feedback. I was like a soldier and, and I think I could have helped it be acquired for more. I think we could have maintained or I think we could have kept a branch of the thing. I had all these ideas, but I was just like taking like orders and just kind of marching straight down the path. But that experience helped me understand. He, he was like, why wouldn't you have told me? And I'm like, can I even tell you that? It's your product. I'm here to sell it. Like I'm here to like make you money. I'm here to help students and change lives. But I didn't even know that it was possible to fail or to give feedback or to whatever. So for me, that was, it was, you know, mind blowing to like all, <laughs> all the things that like entrepreneurs like take for granted. It, yeah. it was my first experience. Yeah. That's what school didn't teach me. Yeah. Where, where'd you do your MBA? Western. Okay. So, uh, and I, we've never talked about this. I don't yeah. even know how you got from UCLA to General Assembly. Um, well, I was a free agent for a little while and uh, GA found me. Hmm. Okay, not everybody realizes like what a phenomenon General Assembly was. Can you mm. can you give people like a sense of like the like 
tidal wave <laughs> that it was? Yeah, I mean, it was just a massive organization. Well, let's tell people what it actually is. It's it, they're a, they're a boot camp, so um, we're taking we're taking a different approach through a platform and through you know the 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 very like specific job piece, you know, taking it further than a boot camp per se. But as far as boot camps go, like they were the biggest and the best kind of in the space, certainly during the time. They've since been acquired. And in my personal experience, when companies are acquired, it takes on a different feel, you know, um, a lot of money rolls in. And in education, that's in my personal experience, that's always been very, very different. Uh, when a lot of money comes in, you know, when new investors come in and the founders then leave, um, a lot of that soul power is lost. And so it's been my personal goal to, um, and my partners to to maintain that soul power, no, no matter how successful we are. And we're only judged by our peers. Like we're, we don't accept Title IV funding. So we go out of business if people aren't getting jobs, right? Like we're literally married to the student and then in some ways them to us, right? Like they're investing their time and energy in all this space. But I learned so much. I mean, that was the, in many ways, like uh, General Assembly was the playbook that I brought to Utah that helped Dev Mountain um, build up their sales teams and their admissions teams and all their marketing teams. Like, like it was new for all of them and bringing that playbook to Utah was, was super helpful for this community. I remember your stories about planes and credit cards and, and doing all sorts of stuff and attracting and like oh, just, just like, they're big, yeah. the, like hyper growth. Hyper growth. Um, what's one of the biggest lessons or a couple of the biggest lessons that, that have stuck with you from that time? You know, they, um, there's something something really powerful about that core team, and so um, the founders of General Assembly are are brilliant, you know. And like to be in a space with that much brilliance, is, that was new for me as well. And I became obsessed with like, you know, of course doing the right thing for people all the time, but just being in a space where those four guys were, you know, just like so hyper focused on the product, it's so hyper focused on the outcome, and you know how to scale it, how to grow it. Um, there was just a lot of lesson to learn there. I would even say that, you know, Matt Breimer, he was different in a lot of ways. So he's one of the founders. And um, he introduced me to Utah in a way that now I'm here kind of benefiting uh, from some of those relationships still. Like those became some of my, my best friends. But he introduced me to the Summit Series group out here in Utah. And um, I didn't even know what I was getting into. But he was like, you know, bring some boots and bring, you know, if you got some skis, bring some skis and bring some dance pants. Like bring some stretchy pants, which I have a ton of. But I'm like, why are we, why am I bringing my stretchy pants to OR? I thought he was talking about outdoor retailer. I thought we were going to like a, an event or something because like that was the timing of it all. And so we came to Utah in the winter and uh, it wasn't that at all. It was, you know. Yeah, tell people, for everybody who doesn't know Powder Mountain Summit Series, can you yeah. give a, a brief on that culture in sure. that group? I mean, so bar none, this is the best, I think, network. I mean, it's like I was about to join the Masonic, you know, group, you know, so I'd gotten an invite. I even had like a mentor that was like, come to my meetings and like, it's a big dinner, you know, and like they want a new blood, I think in the, in the, in the Mason uh, group. I wanted to be a Shriner first because they have the motorbikes and the little hats. So I called and I was like, you know, come to a dinner, whatever. And I was looking for more community. Basically I was looking for um, just more impact, more. I just wanted smart people to like kind of work with and um, to learn from. And so I decided not to be a Mason uh, when when Brimer introduced me to Powder Mountain and Summit Series. So that was Richard Branson and a handful of Jeff Rosenthal, um, Elliot Bisnow, like the, the world's smartest entrepreneurs all got together and purchased a mountain in Utah. And then that became kind of the breeding 
ground for so much innovation. You know, the best talks, you know, the best, you know, um, learnings, the best dances, you know, the whatever, the best food. Like it was basically just like, it was a younger, hipper version of the Masonic Lodge, which I was also kind of just hungry for, but I met my tribe there. Yeah, I feel like it's like, and I still have never been to Summit, but yeah. uh, we, we so many go. friends I have. Yeah, I'd love to. Maybe we should go. Uh, I feel like it's like, it's almost like, what if everybody at TED was 15 or 20 years younger yeah. and like cool, for lack of a better word. Or, or just good. And like, there's Cool's like, one thing, but like good, like, like yeah. big hearted. Yeah, but I mean, like, literally, like, stylish. Like, okay. stylish and doing the impact work mm. and the... But then tech, art, culture, kind of like this big thing uh, that's like... It's it's <laughs> like... It feel it sounds to me, and I, I you should weigh in on this, it sounds to me less like a business conference and more like a big party with the people you want to hang out with. But that's kind of the point. And it turns out business is done in those types of environments. And so back to, like, Brimer. Like, he had just launched Daybreaker. And I helped him with San Francisco. Okay, another non-traditional get together. Tell morning, people the daybreaker. Well, it's a morning sober rave, in like every major city in America. But at the time, it was just New York and San Francisco. Okay. And Brimer wanted, you know, some introductions to San Francisco and that community. And I think it needs slightly was, more explanation. I was part of. No, that's people literally show it. Up at nine a.m. and they're yeah. seven a.m. or morning. way earlier, six. Six. Like okay. in a tutu and stretchy pants. And in San Francisco, like that culture, the Burning Man culture and like everybody, you know, so you, after the party, like, and you, you can tell people by the stamp, right? So you're riding around in Ubers all day and you're at business meetings. You can see people at the coffee shops with the stamp and it's this kind of understanding. It's like, I know what you did this morning. Like <laughs> you got super sweaty uh, with no alcohol and, and danced your heart out and we, we made some good connections. And so like, it was just like really, really rad like um, grassroots kind of culture that Brimer had built through dancing. And so, um, and in San Francisco, everyone's putting their tie on. You can see people going from the party to the office. And it was just like very fluid. Like we all hang out. We all like participate in, um, in good, healthy kind of activity. And turns out that's pretty good for business too. So I've met some really great business partners, you know, dancing. And Brimer kind of showed, showed me, I, we've never talked about this either, but, and I should give him credit, right? Like, I should actually just call him and say, dude, that was awesome. I've learned a lot from that. But I remember him going up in Powder Mountain and basically just talking about Daybreaker. I'm like, though, you're the co-founder of GA, this massive, super helpful, really interesting organization. But he was leading with culture. And I was like, that's really, really interesting. And um, I took a lot of life lessons from, from those interactions. Yeah. And then, of course, in the end, everyone goes to GA and everyone invests in GA. But it started first with like just being a real human and uh, not trying to like push anything super heavy, just talking about culture and like expressing and sharing and and that's really what Powder Mountain does so well. It's not about business first; it's about humans first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So what's funny is actually on a phone call with Colt Henry last night from Dev Mountain, giving mm. me some advice for child rescue. Okay. Um, so uh, let's go to the next one, Dev Mountain. You know, mm -hmm. you go from the big name of of General Assembly mm -hmm. and in some ways kind of like get to play the sport over again in a different route. Yeah. What's something you take away from Dev Mountain time? I mean, it got me to Utah, right? And so I was coming from the big city, right? From San Francisco. And um, I took a, so my wife knew um, Kaylin's wife, the, uh, another founder of, of Dev Mountain. And so the wives kind of connected us. So we met for, you know, lunch in the Bay Area when he was out there and um, we just kind of like set those seeds. Um, around the same time though, 
six months from then I met Michael Zaro, who was everything these guys were plus more. And just a little bit more like, you know, aligned with where my heart was. And so I kind of like, those seeds were also just kind of growing. But my time at Dev Mountain was, uh, I mean, it was super, super, you know, essential to my growth and to, I think, the growth of our city and where we are currently. I was impressed because at the time, Startfest was just coming up and, um, you know, they were making the rounds, you know, trying to like get the buzz. This is before Silicon Slopes, right? And, um, and Kaylin Sharp gave me the green light, you know, to basically spend about a month's worth, maybe two months worth of our marketing budget supporting those early Startfest initiatives. That was a huge, huge risk for the entire team. Um, and I remember kind of just promising that it was gonna work out. And from that, we got the email list that turned into a lot of contacts, which turned into a lot of lives changed. And so the fact that those guys kind of trusted me to like work my magic and kind of express, you know, in, in different ways, like how we can really build community and not just be so, you know, I don't know, just like transactional. That was, that was a big kind of thing for me. Also the fact like that front runner was key, like there was two deer keeping pace with like front runner. So as I'm going to the startup building, you know, in, in Provo, there's two deer, like literally keeping pace. And I'm like, dude, this is insane. And then you get there and then it's the, it's the big smokestack. And um, John Curtis had tweeted at, at the time, Mayor Curtis, right? Now Congressman Curtis. He was tweeting at me the same day, um, trying to grab lunch. Like it took me a long time to, to meet the mayor of San Francisco and to get the mayor of Oakland to come to our, you know, activations and to like work with the Black Panthers and like all those, you know, great groups. That took years and years and years. In, in Provo and in Salt Lake City, like the openness to like getting crapped on and just like doing it for the right reasons and like just overall curiosity, that was really special. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a tangent for one second. Yeah. You know, you and I, I don't even remember when we met. I don't either. I think- I, You had a bunch of drones. And like you, you know flew what? a bunch of drones into like a uh, cow pasture or, or something. Really? Oh yeah. Like That's funny. You had a okay, massive I arsenal. Like a, I think we were doing like a <laughs> child rescue thing when I was down at Dustin Haggett's place. Also, oh, even before that. At- um, the drones is what stands out to me. But uh, we were at the Impact Hub. I think it was an Impact Hub. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Startfest for one second. So we actually produce Clint's show, uh, CEO.com. Cool. Right? Yeah. And uh, you look at like Startfest, like, I mean, Silicon Summit, I, Silicon Slope Summit, I think they're like their max, I think they've been up to like 30,000 attendees now from like, I mean, I remember going from, to like Google Startup Weekend with these guys and you yeah. know what I mean? Like, back on the Beehive podcast and stuff. Totally. When you think about lessons of, of seeing Utah's rapid rise, especially having, you know, come from time in LA and San mm -hmm. Francisco where mm -hmm. so much of that have been established already and like mm -hmm. seeing the rise in Utah, um, what lessons do you think people might want to bring to their cities who, who didn't get to see what you and I have seen in the last decade here? Based on what we're doing here, what would other cities want to implement that Salt Lake City yeah, so, and, some, and Utah are doing? Some tech culture art person in their city is like, man, I keep hearing about Utah. I mean, it's the right. second most amount of tech unicorns per right. capita after California. Like something, something's going on here, right? right? And they're like, man, I wish I could bring those lessons to my business, my city, my whatever. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I don't know how you scale soul 
if, if there was a strategy, I think people would try to harness that. But I don't know how you scale soul. Like it, you either have it or you don't. You either love or you don't. You either share it or you don't. In Utah, back to like the John Curtis example, like day one, I was like, this place is different. Like there is an openness and a curiosity to like what people are building and doing and, that, and a general want to like build business. I, I think it, that goes back to our roots as a state, right? Like the beehive, like I think that's the raddest, you know, just industry in general. Like this place is all about that. It's, it, it's in our blood, that pioneer blood, whether you're, you know, an ancestor of actual pioneers that moved to this state or you're just part of the state, either way you came here and either way we're pioneering these ideas and these movements here. And um, I think it's also cool that I don't think we try to like keep it a secret, right? Like come here, be with us, participate. Tech isn't the bad word here yet that it is in some places. It's our job to make it not be kind of like a bad thing or a bro thing or we have to do, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things we could do better, you of know? But, so can everyone. But, but I think we're down to share uh, best practices. I think we're down to share our resources, come here, live here or export you know, kind of like some of the ideas and things. But again, I don't think you can export soul. I, I actually think that like you either, like you can't fake that. You you either care or you don't care. And But I do think, and, and tell me if you disagree. I do think you can lean into it more or not. Like as an individual. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Like there's like a spark, right? And everyone huddles around that spark. And then the more you build it, it becomes a flame. But like, who's got the spark? Like not everyone's got a spark but you do have the ability to huddle around the flame and smart people feel that energy and that warmth and good people kind of, you know, but it's, I think I'm talking about like the specific starts, like who can start it? You know, you're one of those starters. Like you're one of those guys that has, have that eternal kind of spark and people benefit from being around your flame. I think you're referring to ADD. Cause I have the, it also might I have help. the ADD. <laughs> Look, I like have holes in my carpet. I pace in my, like, just walk in circles. Um, I don't know what that means, but. Uh, I will say I like people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, people are cool. Uh, so <laughs> one thing that I've always admired about you is, um, and I want to know how much of this you've intentionally worked on versus how much you think you were born with. Hmm. But you, I've always admired how unassuming you are and your natural curiosity. Like you come with a humility of like, I've been to so many events with you or places we see each other mm. and I hear who you're talking to or whatever. And you're like, you're, you're kind of like a shiny object. Like you're, you're like magnetic and you've got energy and people want to spend time with you, but That's you nice. are not name dropping. You're not telling them how great the things you are done. You're like so curious mm. of other people. And thank you. You're so unlikely to be the guy like, Oh, I was a, uh, was a big part of general assembly. And I was like, you're so unlikely to, need their validation of you and it's almost like you're spending all your time being curious and interested in them and i'm sure that's got to be like a competitive advantage for you business-wise but also just like uh life satisfaction wise so mm. how much of that do you feel like you've had to overcome uh parts of your personality to develop and how much do you feel like you're born with first thanks i like i'm trying really hard just to say thanks with the period because like i don't agree with some of the things some of those accolades like i'm working on all that um i could be more curious i could be more helpful you know um but thank you and that's a huge compliment i don't look my mom my mom played with me right and um we didn't have a lot you know we didn't have a lot of toys my my toys were uh coupons 
that she would laminate or she'd find, you know, a picture book and she'd cut it up. You know, so it was a bear, it was a truck. Where'd you grow up? Uh, all over. My dad was in the military. Okay. So Japan was the longest stint as a kid, but you know, Texas and uh, the East Coast and Air Force. Okay. Um, and it's almost Veterans Day, so shout out. Uh, it's a big part of our community and, and why we do what we do every single day. So, what did your dad do? Uh, he was a fighter pilot. Oh, really? And then two brothers. Never told me that. Yeah, two brothers of mine, also my two younger brothers, went to the Air Force Academy. Oh, really? Both pilots, both commercial pilots now. But um, but yeah, that was my upbringing. So in those days, we didn't have a ton, right? Like small trailer, but the cleanest trailer on the block. My mom was immaculate in what she did, and um, and you know I had like the rings from mason jars you know, tied together with a twist tie. Those were my toys, right? And she would just read to me every day the same books over and over and over. And she'd sit on the on the floor and we were the same height, you know, and, and she'd get down and dirty with me and we'd have, you know, sticks and rocks and, you know, flashcards and, you know, mason jars. And um, I think that, I, I think that's probably the biggest, I don't know that she knew what she was doing. I think she was just being a good mom and a good good person. I think she's generally just likes like hanging out with me and I liked hanging out with her. But I think what that did was it kind of, it sparked some, some creativity in those, in those early days. And like, we just, we did, we're, we were scrappy. You've got a few things, you, you make that happen. And, and my current business partner, Michael Zara, the reason I think we attracted so quickly was he's also like the king of scrappy. Like we've raised like no money. Like we have a handful of angel investors that are very important to the business, but small, small investments. You know, we're a profitable school that exists because we get people jobs. And we've been able to grow substantially each year because we do right by people and because Michael Zaro is super, super scrappy. We don't spend more than we have and uh, we're gonna continue to grow the right way. Someday we might raise you know, investment, but we've never needed to. And that's essential because we didn't have the outside influence that every other school that I've worked for had. They had a bunch of folks barking orders and having you do what wasn't always in a student's best interest. Right, you kind of lose that control once you take capital from all these places. Everybody knows that, right? But like to to be living proof of not having to do what isn't perfect for our community and our students and their livelihood and their outcome, it's a blessing that that um, I think my mom helped instill in me early to be scrappy and creative and you know curious. As as you gave me that compliment, thank you. And then I, I happen to find a partner that feels the same way. I feel like bootstrapping is so underrated. Right. I feel like um, being profitable as yeah. a startup is so underrated. I agree. Uh, when and, and like I can get the argument of, hey, Amazon wouldn't have become Amazon if they'd have been more worried about profitability sure. than kidney scale. And, and, sure. I, and so I don't quite know how to square my beliefs there because I can acknowledge that truth. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's so many folks who are not Amazon mm -hmm. that are constantly risking their and their employees and their customers' future of mm -hmm. being together mm -hmm. by spending more than they have, by um, by not taking the time to figure out unit economics. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. Um, when you think of a, of your choice to not follow in the footsteps of the places you've been and to not go raise copious amounts of money. Mm -hmm. um, where do you think that came from? You've talked about a couple of the advantages. Any other advantages? I think we're just common sense. You know, just like you're masters of the obvious. You know, if you don't need it, you don't need it. And you go, you go get what you do need. You build things the right way. We're trying to build something that someone eventually wants to buy into. 
or buy eventually. Like we're, we're trying to build something that, that could be or, you know, desired or could be acquired. Like that, that is part of our, our ethos. It's kind of baked into us, but we're not doing anything that, that isn't in the student's interest. We're not doing anything that, um, yeah, like we're not, we're not, uh, yeah, we're, we're, you know, common sense, just kind of do what makes sense. Like don't, don't go in like for the sake of doing something. You don't need to raise money just for the sake of raising money. Although that is like sometimes what makes the headlines. And of course, as a business, as a scrappy business, headlines are important. You know, getting the word out is important. And so, yeah, you, you sacrifice a little bit of like the buzzy. Um, but, you know, in the end, like buzz fades, soul, you know, stays. <laughs> that needs to be a poster and a t-shirt. I need to say it once or twice more. <laughs> buzz yeah. fades, soul stays. Is that it? That's what you just said. It I sounds think it's awesome. right. It feels right. Um, <clears throat> so uh, let's talk about this this concept of um, the way that you guys have gone after folks that a lot of people talk about the headlines, trying to get involved, you know, women and, and minorities and other folks. There's so much talk about getting them into tech mm-hmm. and then you guys are actually doing it. Um, can you talk about where you've been successful, where others have been hopeful? Sure. I, I think it starts with friendships in general and just, you know, being in the right room and, um, and doing it for the right reasons that, that alone has opened up opportunities and doors of opportunity to, to serve. Right. So before COVID we were in the middle East, you know, we had a substantial part of our team when it was not profitable. Uh, we sent, you know, half of our total team to Lebanon to teach Syrian refugees how to code. That seemed really hard at the time. It was very expensive. If one little thing had gone wrong, you know, it, it would have crushed us. Um, but when we came back from that experience, MIT and BYU wanted to work in Ghana together. Um, and Adobe took note. And so there was a big, you know, kind of like a opportunity for every coding boot camp. We've always fancied ourselves as more than a boot camp. Um, but a part of what we do is certainly that. Um, but they were looking for an education partner, Adobe, and they wanted more women, they wanted more veterans, they wanted more folks of color um, to come through their, their program. Um, and they wanted those people then to work for Adobe. So educate a certain amount, a certain amount of those get internships, a certain amount of those get placed in Adobe full-time, but they needed someone to teach them coding, right? And we didn't make a deck, you know? We showed up at the Adobe building the TV is as large as this, you know, double windows, right? It's a massive TV. And we literally just put on the TV um, a story of it's our students just talking in Lebanon about their experience, about their families, you know, being left, you know, and, and in some cases, the road to Aleppo is closed, you know, family murdered, you know. Um, they have one suitcase, one duffel bag. They make their way from Syria or Palestine or Iraq to Lebanon you know, as a refugee and they find V-School um, and they're able to learn a tech skill. They were a doctor, they were a lawyer, they were a waitress, a barista before in their other lives, but through a technical skill like coding, they were able to uh, land an awesome job and get a skill set and, you know, make a new life. And so we showed Adobe that, you know, we just let our students tell the story and we won a big contract that, um, that, that was huge for us and for the, for the community at large and helped us scale into uh, other interesting places. It's interesting to me to think about tech as yeah. a ability to help relieve unnecessary suffering. Yeah. You know, there's a guy we've had on the show a couple of times named Al Buford, former 
special mm. mission unit operator in classified units of special ops and mm. very successful entrepreneur now who is helping who is involved in helping some of the people escape from the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. Mm. There's this super brave girl uh, who helped save 150 of her friends from the Taliban who they weren't letting him to the airport. Uh, wow. It's a great episode. If anybody watching wants to go back and check out Asma Pai Gear. But Amazing. coming out the other side of that, she's like, so then Al got her on our show because she was going to be sent to some refugee camp and he and mm. his wife were like, hey, do you want to just come live with us? And wow. she's like, well, I might be nervous. Can my sister come too? Her sister had actually been in the States at university. So okay. her and her sister move in with them for a year while her, their parents are stuck in refugee camps over in the Middle East. Wow. And we got asked to be part of helping raise scholarship for her to go to school. Amazing. And she is like really, really interested in fintech and mm. becoming successful enough here in the U.S. to go back to Afghanistan and create a program where um, women don't have to have their money handled through the Hawala system and be taken advantage of by men. And mm -hmm. uh, she's like, honestly, one of the bravest people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Uh, like you hear her stories about family members of her being mm -hmm. murdered by the Taliban and mm -hmm. just the crazy stuff that's going on. And, and that basically like she thought she was going to be killed and she did it anyways to yeah. save these friends. Right. And then she, she is able to get to the U S and, and it's almost like, oh, and the story ended. No, the story didn't end for her. She right. So we're, we're really excited. She got into Virginia Tech this last semester. And, Amazing. And, um, and a lot of actually our viewers have helped donate and, and made that possible. Mm. Um, but for me, it was like this different experience where it stopped being a story on the news. Mm -hmm. You know, because we had her on the show and we were making introductions for her and we got our opportunity to do like leadership speeches at some university stuff. And like, we really got to like, get a feeling for her and we got text updates when her parents were able to get out of the refugee camp and all this stuff, you know? Amazing. And it made like some of the things that you do feel very much more real to me. And it made me realize like why it's probably so much fun to do what you do. My gosh. I mean, that, thank you. I mean, that, I'm moved like imagining I, the way you talk and the way you paint the picture also makes it easy to, to see her and to like see that experience and having been in the area and having known these people um it, that's super moving and yeah it, like it becomes it becomes a a part of us right it becomes like like it it really like they've done so much more for us than we have for them right turns out you know of course like them just sharing that experience and their story and their food and their culture and um us doing our small role our, our small part to connect and to whatever we're doing um but yeah like i in one thousand a thousand percent you know like I'm the one that grew from, from, from those relationships and friendships. Like it's made me a better human. So yeah, it's addictive, right? It's addictive to like be in a space where, where humans are just, you know, making, making it happen and just like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I want more of it. Right. Like I want to, I want to be in a position where I have enough resources that, that those blessings are reciprocated and we're able to like do what we do. And then of course, like, what they're able to now take, like she's going to go now. I mean, she helped 150 people, right? Everything she does is so scalable. Like she's just going to help that many more people because of that experience. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, Highlight of my career was, <laughs> was doing that type of work. So I want to also talk, I feel like, I feel like people could benefit from more of like the Mo Reader approach. That's what I'm hoping they get out of this episode. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's talk about 
<laughs> neon rodeo okay. not a typical like let's talk about there's the a lot of people that play like the standard playbook of like oh we need to we you know we're in tech or we're we're doing our startup <laughs> yeah like oh what are the next promotion things we need to do and they go sure. to the list and they do the things everybody else does sure most of people most people don't do <laughs> what you guys are doing there can you explain what it is and your approach thank you yeah it's a creative conference and um similar like we're talking about what utah can export in terms of ideas there's a lot we could bring in and import in terms of culture and like some of these like amazing things like you know the festivals and the South Bys and all the things that we've done in other great cities. Um, we're doing that now here in Utah, and it's our own version. So what makes this one unique? The Neon Rodeo is it's basically it's a group of my best friends, and uh, Jesse Walker is like the king of house music. Like he is twenty five years deep New City Movement. They are house music, and it's not just Salt Lake City. So it you know, 80% of the DJs are, you know, our DJs, but we're flying in people from Detroit, from Chicago and these other cities. And so we have like these sister cities where we're exposing these awesome people to our culture, our community, and then vice versa. We're blessed by having these people in our backyard. And then the creative aspect, so that's the dance stuff that we do. Like we took over the whole block down here on Third South, like just a couple of months ago. So the beer bar, Bar X, Feist, Feist is a huge partner. And so they're like the, the leading, bleeding edge of streetwear and culture in our city. Like if a Utah jazz member is going to buy a pair of kicks, like there's only one place that person goes, they're going to go to Feist, right? So super sophisticated. And then, um, V school is the education component. So like there's daytime, nighttime, right? The nighttime that's covered. Jesse Walker covers that. Gary Vlasic, who's a board member at Umoka, he helped us plan the daytime activation. Um, and, and that was amazing. And so um, we had the Black Chamber of Commerce there. We had folks from Meow Wolf in Vegas that are leading these like experimental art projects and like really cool stuff. We had, I don't feel like that quite covers. Meow Wolf is like it's wild. fascinating it's wild. to me, especially so like yeah. they, for anybody who doesn't know, they got the guy who wrote uh, Game of Thrones to give him all this money right. and transform this huge building into like the most interactive right. art experience. And their their uh, their data suggests people really like crawling through uh, appliances. Turns out, right? <laughs> Turns out people really like crawling through appliances. So like to get into this huge art experiment, you have to like find your way. You go yeah. into like a normal looking house and you have to like... Yeah crawl in through the dryer or through the fridge or through all these things to find mm. your way in and people think it's the best thing ever. Amazing. Like, I mean, I love like, to me, they're another example of people who don't care how it used to be. They're going to remix the way that's interesting to them. Great. And it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know if it's an art installation, a museum, mm -hmm. a like all the rave lights and the, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. and it's like their remix, which is like this huge magnet. It's amazing. Well, and if you follow the history of rave culture, right? Like it's, uh, it's, it's black music. House music is black music. It's queer music. It's, it comes from these places like Chicago and from San Francisco. And, and, uh, and basically like we were having so much fun telling these stories and telling the history of where these movements started. That's important because like V-School, like everyone, we want everyone to feel welcome. Like it doesn't matter what walk of life you're from, like, like start here with us, right? Like, um, like learn a skill, like meet a family, like meet a technical family. But that's really what house music was for so many people as well as a safe place. And so in recreating, you know, our education model and like creating a, a festival or a creative conference where like the goal is that everyone feels um, belonging, like, you know, everyone feels safe, like that we, ha we hired no security. 
right? Like we secure, like we patrolled ourselves, right? Like everyone kept each other safe in these in these spaces where normally you'd have to have X amount of security guards making sure everyone acts right. No, it was like self-policing where everyone is there, like the community takes care of each other. And so, so yeah, next year we can't wait. Like Intel came, Target sent, you know, some people, like all these amazing companies and big brands wanted to see what this like futuristic kind of like creative festival, like what was happening in Salt Lake City? Why was, why Detroit? Why Salt Lake? Why are they working together? Like, what is that? And, and tell people more about the, the daytime agenda. It was basically just to bring thought leaders in around the future of, of technology, the future of education, the future of work. And, um, and so, yeah, to, to drop names, like you said, I don't, but I'm dropping names in this case because these people are so special and they're coming to our city. And so it's not a, it's a shine on them, not, not, but Dwayne Edwards, right? So he created the, the first and second and third Nike shoe with Jordan on Jordan's couch, right? He was on the stage with Sydney Shorter, uh, the CEO of the Black Chamber of Commerce here in Utah. So like, it's those people, it's, um, you know, Steric Kitchen, uh, back to the, you know, those are our roots. Like it was Kitchen versus Herbert, right? And that was what instigated and like really moved forward uh, marriage equality in our state. Even before the country, you know, Utah was was first in that, in that well, before the, before the norm, right? Uh, but that didn't just happen. I mean, that was the Rocky Andersons, that's the Derek Kitchens. Like that's the amazing humans in our community. And so giving them a voice and putting them in a, in a space under a spotlight where they can tell those authentic stories about us and then and then bring in a sister city to like take it over the moon like yeah you got to come next year this is this hey i don't want to i don't want to put you know too much pressure on the situation but it was the we've heard that it was the best uh the best party that the salt lake city produced this year like <laughs> it was insane like so much fun yeah so impactful so uh I know we're about up for time, so I got a couple more questions for you. Okay. So uh, Rex, who's behind the camera here, folks. Thanks, Rex. Rex and I used to work together at a group called the Arbinger Institute, mm. and uh, started by my hero Terry Warner, okay. wrote, like the most incredible book called Bonds That Make Us Free. Mm. And Terry once said, he was talking about someone else, and he said, he said, they're genuinely welcoming, and that's mm. about the highest compliment I can give someone. Mm. And I thought about that because. Um, I was surprised that for him, that was the highest compliment someone could be given. And I, I thought about that for eight or nine years now, that mm. my hero thinks one of the highest compliments people could be given is that, that someone is welcoming. Mm. And I feel like you really live that. Oh, is this great. something you cultivate? Is this something intentional? Or if people want to become more welcoming, maybe like I struggle sometimes where I'm focused on my agenda and what I'm trying to get done. Mm. Um, and uh, that's something I feel like I could work on. Any advice? Gosh, I don't know. Like maybe, you know, I, to me, if it's not funny, it's not worth it ever. Like we have to be laughing. Like there has to be a wink to everything we do. And to me, that's kind of what welcoming is for me. If it's not like entertaining and funny, certainly fun, but even funny. Like if we're not laughing at least once or twice in a conversation, I get bored pretty quick. You mentioned ADD. I've never been diagnosed with any of these things, but there's a not very- self-diagnosed. Okay, but there's a very good chance that I've got, you know, you know, these things as well. Like I, I can't sit still for too long. I always want to be doing stuff and, and helping people and, and making it happen. But also I'm just motivated by, I like that idea, just welcome. To me, if it's like, I'm looking for, I'm looking for ways to activate. I'm looking for ways to like engage. I'm looking for ways to laugh. And um, 
I think that's just what drives me as a human. And so turns out that's really good for business. So I'm blessed that like the two intertwine and intersect and kind of make sense to people. So thank you for the compliment. <laughs> Everybody who's trying to scale a business talks about voice of the customer. And, and when you hear them talk about product market fit, they're like, you really need to get in the life of your customer and ask them what's going on and, and mm. even why they believe that and these things. Um, and yeah, I see you live that harder than others. Like to the point where sometimes uh, it, it, I feel like you're more like my friends in the nonprofit world mm. where this is a cause, there's a cause first and a business second. Mm. And uh, when you think about people who like you have such a genuine love for your students. Like you, like these are like, they're almost like your kids. Like you really, like you're not, I feel like sometimes business can, can especially when you're trying to do numbers and scale and things, it can almost be, it can almost get to the feeling, even though no one say this on their side voice of like, so what do we have to give them to get the money? You know, mm. like that, nobody yeah. would say that. No. And nobody would claim that, but no. sometimes it can get that feeling. Sure. And for you, like you're, so deeply concerned with them and what's going on in their life and their success. Uh, to me, that's something I feel like the rest of us can learn from. Hmm. Any advice if we if we want to develop more of that within ourselves? Well, I would uh, point you towards an article that, um, so our, our VP of, uh, well, he's our CRO and he was our VP of sales. He just won a Sammy Award for with uh, Utah Business. So Tony Borash has been with us since the very beginning. And he had about 15 quotes about the right way to sell something. And so he does a better job, a more articulate job of expressing why we do what we do. But he's gonna be recognized here like in the next month or two on the stage here in Utah. So stoked and you know, beyond measure that, um, that we're being recognized as a, as a company that has those best practices. And that really comes from, from the top down and that comes from Tony's leadership. So he would do a better job if you were sitting on this couch explaining that. But to me, again, you can't, you can't really fake friendships. I don't, I'm a gifted marketer. I'm very, I'm good at like very few things, like actually like two or three total. Um, one of those things is I'm a gifted marketer and I feel blessed that like that's needed in business in general. Um, I've learned over the years that the best way to, to sell something or market something is literally just to take care of folks do it for the right reasons and have students share their experiences and their stories. It takes a while to get that started because you have to have a certain number of experiences and stories and receipts. And as we've been doing this over the years, inviting our students to come back, we have students that are now on our alum alumni advisory board, right? Like they're industry advisors now. They've already started their own companies. They're senior developers at their companies. They're senior UX people. And them telling their story about what they did and like why they do it. And that, that was always the most successful way to promote our product, which is changing people's lives. Um, I also feel like super blessed. Like I could, being a marketer, I could sell a cup, you know, I could sell a pencil, right? Like we could do these things. Um, I wouldn't have problem. I wouldn't have a problem doing that, but um, it wouldn't be very interesting. I, I, again, I feel like super, super lucky that like what we happen to be, you know, promoting as a product really changes lives. Education is the easiest thing in the world to like make sense of when it's tied to a job or a great outcome. Okay, I wanna talk about this for one minute. Okay. So um, there's this Harvard researcher that I love. Uh, her book is called Blockbusters. And of course I can't remember her name because I'm talking about her. I just thought of it like two minutes ago and it just left my brain. Okay. Okay. Um, I think it's Anita Elversay. Dang it, I can't remember. And she decided for her like, getting tenure and getting published and stuff that she was going to study which movies 
everybody likes and 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 goes mm. to and which ones don't and like cool. what makes a blockbuster and these kind of things i mean that's how we dated back in the day didn't didn't i you asked to see like the cd collection and like you know just be a snob and kind of look through those and sum them up by their cds so that she's doing that with her book well what's interesting is i i she gets so much more press okay than her than her counterparts that are like studying the implications of interest rates on grain imports okay mm -hmm. The press wants to cover her. Mm -hmm. And she I remember this interview. She's like, after I read the book a couple of times, I started actually just like looking up, does she have YouTube interviews? Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, if I'm gonna spend my whole career, like why not pick something interesting? Sure. You know? And she's like, and it doesn't hurt that folks like you want to talk about what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. So what's interesting to me is like, you could sell a mug, you could sell a pencil. Sure. And sometimes I feel like, um, we're such captives mm -hmm. of, of a younger version of ourselves. Our younger version of ourselves said, look, you should do this, or somebody offered us something and we, we took it. Maybe it was an impulse, maybe it wasn't. Now we're in some job or now we're in some business. Mm. And to me, like taking what you just said of like selling a, cup, selling a mug, selling a pencil, or selling something that like changes people's lives and, and gives them this like skill upgrade that they now make more income, provide for their family, be fulfilled. Yeah, like lucky. it's a, we're lucky, but it's also a choice. Like if you were selling mugs today, sure. tomorrow you could get up and say, you know what, honey, <laughs> I think I don't want to sell mugs anymore. Right. And you could start that process to do something that, that you genuinely, your heart feels like matters. Right. Like my, my theory, I was telling a CEO yesterday was that like, this is like the gospel according to Jess. Okay. Life is like a video game mm -hmm. and we get unlimited do-overs. Okay. I like, like that. Like this idea of like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Like literally every day is could be like th there's a there's a stoic philosophy of treating every day like its own life. Mm. What's my life today? Was this is this going to be a good life? Like it's already eleven thirty our time. I love that. Is this going to be a good life? You know, between I mean, like between now and when I go to sleep tonight, and it that. is because I'm going to one of my readers' parties, Friendsgiving. What a great name! Uh, but uh, this idea of like <clears throat> or, you know like. Whether it's Groundhog Day or whether it's Special Ops Groundhog Day, mm. also known as Live, Die, Repeat, The Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> right, right. If you haven't seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, <clears throat> I, I find myself trapped by my previous choices mm. by, uh, by not just choosing to treat it like a video game and say, who cares about, you know, recognize sunk costs bias, mm. recognize, yes, all these things led to today, and I can get up today and decide that Decide, decide to, that it sounds so cliche. Decide that today is day one of my new life mm. where I'm going to go do something that changes people's lives and matters. I love that. You know? I love that. And so I just wanted to highlight like, yes, you probably like, you're magnetic. You like people. You understand communication. You understand how mm. to mag magnetically attract the crowds and you could sell mugs or pencils. Yeah. And any of us, if we do feel like we're selling mugs and pencils, can choose, can choose. to do something that we think actually matters in the world, is actually fulfilling, is fun, is something that the press wants to cover anyways. Like, sure. why not stack the deck in our favor? I love that. And like, honestly, just like having an appreciation for like the little things really matter, like conversations like this, you know, a cup of something warm that you're sharing with somebody warm. Like that, that is, yes, it's cheesy, right? But like, you know, like nothing makes me happier than the smell of vinyl, you know, getting that new jazz record, you know, like for a pretty minimal amount of money, like, you know, these little things like still like really motivate me. Like new friends, deep conversations, nature, right? You know, good music, like 
sweat, you know, just sweat it out, you know, whether that's a conversation or on a dance floor, that kind of stuff is like, it's funny, it's fun. And like that keeps, that keeps us doing it every day. I, I will say like this, this show has been like this back burner project for all these years of like, oh, that thing I do for fun on the side. We've been doing it. And like this summer more than ever, I came to this conclusion like, wow, all of the best things business wise have come from the show. Like multimillionaires who become investors in our commercial real estate fund, like getting clients for our, our management consulting firm, like Google and Intel and uh, Zions Bank and you know, big $9 billion publicly traded industrial company and stuff are like, mm. they're either directly a guest off the show that I then later became friends with and we stay in touch and then they're like, oh, let's do something together. Mm. Or it's like the credibility upgrade and the the people I met and the ideas I learned from the show mm. are the reason that that conversation happened and got put over the top, right? I love that. Um, donors for Child Rescue, love right? It. Really high profile, public company CEOs, huge yes. family offices with hundreds of millions. Met off the show, become friends. Mm -hmm. They're interested in this. And like public company CEOs like sends me a note, hey, by the way, I know you didn't ask me to and we've never talked about it, but I'm inspired with Child Rescue. I decided to donate. Wow. Like such a fun byproduct. That so I'm like, special. I'm going to make this the main thing. So now we hired more staff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like now this is my main thing. So I get to do what you just talked about for like my main thing. And then and then I've got teams that are doing all the other stuff. And it's it. like I do kind of like pinch myself about like, hold on. So I get a just do dessert. I don't have to eat any vegetables, you know? Yeah. And um, my, I joke with my wife, like, do you know how many prayers I've said thanking God for free YouTube and cheap Audible books? Mm. And like, to me, like, those are like just luscious. Wow. Like, they're just like, there's so much joy mm. in them for me. Mm. And like, I've, Warren Buffett, all these like business heroes that I have, the fact that there's like, unlimited schooling from some of them it feels like for free on youtube i think i should like i, I pay for youtube premium but i feel like i should like an extra donation <laughs> to the founders of youtube yeah thank you for providing this for me and everyone else yes but, but there is something about taking the time to enjoy things like i am a i'm a connoisseur of uh shredded beef chimichangas okay i'm all over the country okay and, and like i really love it i've talked to a lot of taco guys lately but a shredded beef chimichanga yeah that's unique every every okay. new mexican food and you're looking for the I chimichanga try only, <laughs> i try to only eat mexican food okay uh I, first first choice is typically the, the shredded beef chimichanga. that's how i like how i judge the restaurant well, we okay. went to a mexican restaurant five years ago ish maybe okay. our wives the four oh, of yeah, us yeah. it was a long time ago my wife reminded me i told her i was going to be on your show today she's like yeah his wife was amazing and i'm like yeah i guess we did do that so it's been a long time. It's been long enough. Let's go eat a chimichanga together. Yeah. Let's bring our, okay. our, our ladies out and let's, uh, yeah, let's do that again. But, but back to your point of like enjoying some of the simple things. Like, yeah. I love A&W root beer to like, <laughs> a, a, like an obsessive degree. Okay. Right? Like especially like Get good, that frosty like mug. Yeah. vanilla bean ice cream. Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, like I don't need expensive stuff. I need A&W. Right? Okay. And it's like, <laughs> How about like embracing that stuff? Sure. More of us like it's funny. It's funny like the more quirky things like this like yeah, those are the things I remember about other people. Totally. Like those are like the those are the parts that can make the like the dreariness of feeling like I'm living the same life over and over Groundhog Day. Hey, not, Get it, up, take the kids to school, go to work, <laughs> drive home, put the kids to bed. Well, right? And now that I know that about you, like you're kind of a weirdo. And the thing is, like I don't want to really know anyone that isn't. Right? There's too much. 
monotony. There's too much like whatever in the world. Like I'm really drawn to the weirdos and like you eating chimichangas with your vanilla bean in the middle of the night by yourself. That's freaking weird. And I love it. Like, and I like want to, I want to join you. <laughs> like, you know, I like Japanese food. I really do. Okay. But if the choice was we're going to go to Nobu for sushi okay. or I get to make my own seared <laughs> right. steak nachos with like maybe three or four different kinds of peppers and a, a right. good like uh, pepper jack cheese with some chili powder on top. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and then broil that so the cheese gets a little crispy. It sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my favorite thing. We, we had, um, I can't remember who, oh, our friends were down from Canada and stayed with us night before last. Okay. And they were getting there kind of around dinner time. They hadn't eaten. Mm. And, uh, and his wife said something about like, uh, oh yeah, we should have got dinner. And you know, I wonder, like they said they got dinner. I wonder what it'll be. And, and Brad says, well, I'm sure there'll be nachos involved. And so he just laughed, was laughing so hard when yeah. he got there and there was nachos involved. <laughs> Anyways. Awesome, man. Love it. Uh, let's go back. So first, what's one more quirky thing that you love that not everybody would know? I released a, uh, ambient tape of myself mowing the grass called Moen, and then on side, I'm side B, side A. <laughs> I should even mow Moen, but okay, go on. It, it's kind of baked in there, it's subtle, you know? But, and then the other side is my buddy Jake in Chicago mowing his grass. So side A is Jake mowing his, his and we and we break it down, We here's the mower that we're using, here's the specs on the mower, here's the type of grass that we're mowing. Um, and uh, and I'm side B, and we, we sold out pretty quick, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we, we sold out. So we might do a second pressing. I'll let you know. Um, I've already I've, I've already got the second. That yeah, yeah, that is. I got you. Like what Seth Godin I says about making something remarkable yeah. is something worth remarking on. Yeah. Not only do I want that, I want to put that like I got behind you. me. I'm going to give you my, my personal copy. Signed. Sure. Sure. That's why. Look. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. I want some nachos, and I'm going to give you a tape of me mowing my grass. Okay. A cassette that. tape. You got to get a cassette player. Do you have one? Uh, I don't have one anymore, which okay. actually pains me. Yeah. Because so much of my best memories have to do with a cassette player. Get on the lookout. Yeah. So to me, ambient music is like really fun and like just like sound recordings, field recordings, that type of thing. So look for the, I got a second one coming out. Uh, Tony, who I mentioned earlier, he and I climbed a tree in Chicago and recorded the tree frogs of Wicker Park. And like it's, it's like this pulse city that starts way out here. And then in the end, it's like a doo doo, doo doo, doo doo of these like tree frogs. Then you hear all the street, chatter folks driving by talking like whatever so there's a nice little bit of like you know sound out there but it's the frogs they're just like doo -doo, doo -doo, you know it's nice so i got a copy of that one for you too that, um, that's coming out soon but here's my thing so my okay. favorite creativity book of all time yeah. is uh steal like an artist austin cleon okay. do you know this book i've heard of it okay and he says if you want to be genuinely innovative and creative mm -hmm. that you can't cut off the quirky things he says when he's a writer and he's like, when I only wrote, yeah. I, I felt myself dying inside. Yeah. And so I got back to jamming yeah. with these other guys, these other musicians. Yeah. And we're not we're not any good and we love it. Sure. And he's like, and my writing got better. Sure. So that's true. I love that you're doing ambient sound of tree frogs and mowing mm -hmm. because there's something funny that will show up in V school and it will change your business, I, even though there's it, no logical it, reason it should. It already right? has. It already has. It's such a funny, like, fun topic that I've already met some, like, really important people. <laughs> and we will, we'll go into that next time. Oh, that's be after. But, you know, yeah, I've met some really important folks for the business and for, for life just by way of laughing yeah. and having a great chat about hell knows what. <laughs> okay. 
people who want to check out vSchool, where yeah. do they go? www.vschool.io. And if you look across the top, like find like the impact scholarship section and like just look at all the opportunities there are uh, for women, for veterans, for, you know, folks looking to break into tech. Uh, you know, maybe there's a lot that happened. Like this, this last economy was like all over the place. It's been crazy for people. So anyone that just wants to, to learn a new skill set like coding or design, we have 40 hours of free coursework. Doesn't cost you a dollar. We actually white label that for a, a bunch of institutions, including like the big one on the hill, 10 minutes up here, five minutes up here. So like we white label this curriculum and like they use it to, to, to vet for their master's degree students in biomed. So that's, that's for you for free. Anyone that wants to, to see if you're, you'd be a good fit for coding. You might not like it, right? So do the 40 hours for free. If you love it, then we'd love to talk to you. If you just want to take that and just, that's fine too. But that's the quickest way to find us just online and then kind of go under the scholarship section to see kind of all the cool opportunities. Okay. Um, where should people connect with you on social or follow you on social? LinkedIn, Mo Reader, Insta, Mo Reader, Twitter, Mo Reader. Okay. Pretty simple. No one, I don't want to say that. I was going to, never mind. I was going to, you know, I was going to talk some crap on another medium, but why? <laughs> the, the one that I didn't mention, I wouldn't necessarily reach out there. LinkedIn, Twitter, Insta is a, is a quick way to find me. Okay. So final one, um, you know, when I moved to Utah 10 plus years ago, I had mm. almost no uh, exposure to military veterans, stuff like this. My grandpas have both served in the Second World War. I had like a couple of cousins, stuff, but I just didn't have any context. And then I got them all as clients, teaching leadership classes to special ops guys and all these people. Yeah. And like, I really grew to love that community. And then a bunch of them became volunteers at Child Rescue. And we hired a Delta Force guy to run Child Rescue. And like, I really like come to love that community and like their, their commitment to caring for others. Like, I guess spending time with these guys, I remember going to, I got invited to this 25 year Navy SEAL retirement. Cool. Hanging out in the kitchen with all these guys and they sound just like my buddies. Mm -hmm. They're, they're complaining about their mortgages. They're talking about the football game and like where their wife was kind of naggy about something or, you know, like they sound just like my regular buddies. Okay. And then the one dude was like, couldn't finish his story. Hmm. And like the compassion from the other guys on, um, bro, like you've had, way too much TBI, like don't be hard on yourself for this. Mm -hmm. These are like hardcore meat eaters. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And like the compassion and love for their brother and like the like making him feel better that he couldn't he couldn't finish his story because he'd been blown up too many times. Yeah. Was just like it was like I was like a it was like it was a movie. Like I wasn't really there. Like I was just observing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like this idea of like, you know, just like little four year olds running around and thinking like, these guys literally are willing to let their kids not grow up with a dad so that my kids can grow up with a dad. Hmm. Like it was very visceral for me, this one experience specifically of the like, the genuine self-sacrifice. It's not all about me. It's not all about my retirement, my bank account, my fancy car, my whatever. Mm -hmm. And they all would prefer those things. They really would, like I know them. They're, mm -hmm. they're just dudes. Sure. Uh, and so I feel like there's so much to admire. But they're also kind of not. Seals, <laughs> that's kind of like a professional athlete. It's kind of like an astronaut. I mean, they're also like superhuman too in a lot of ways. Okay, I'll break it down. Army Medical Department was one of my biggest clients. Okay. Nurses, you know, admin people who mm. who were like, or, or anyways, even the folks that weren't the SEALs. Okay, sure, I sure, do sure. find this like, this general like peer pressure and culture of like, it's not all about me. 
that I feel like the rest of our country could benefit from. You're right. And I feel like, like tomorrow, tomorrow, November 11th, you know, people will be doing all sorts of things for veterans. And what about the other 364 days a year? Mm-hmm. So maybe our closing thing, can you talk about just how many veterans you guys are helping and, and why this is something that uh, you focused on? Starting first with how many veterans have helped us, right? Okay. All we're doing is our, our small part in the world. So the fact that we can serve the people that serve us every day is a, is a huge, huge, huge blessing. Um, so yeah, I feel really lucky that our product is needed. There's a boot camp to get these guys and gals in, but there's not a boot camp to get them out. Um, the TAPS programs and different things are in place. We've talked to enough veterans that are just like, it's a, it's a mixed bag. And often, like 99% of the time, there isn't that boot camp to get them into civilian life. And um, we hire as many vets as we can. We train as many as we can. Uh, it's a substantial time, like portion of our student body. And um, it's almost half of our total student body are, are active service members, veterans, or dependents. And think of all the, the dependents out there too, the, the men and women that are also stationed somewhere, living lives way far away from home. They're doing that for our common good here to kind of keep the whole world safer. And so those spouses, those military spouses, they also have needs, right? For community, for, for connection, and for, um, for technical, at times, technical skills or some type of skill that's remote. Like you just need to have a, you know, an internet connection. If you have a hotspot, you can now do the things that you can make good money and you can feel that, you know, that gratification every day, job well done kind of thing. So again, our product serves those people in a way that, um, it's changing lives. And so, yeah, for us, um, it's always been a big part of why we do what we do. And um, of course, it's like a tight knit community too, like you're mentioning your buddies, right? So, uh, you know, one vet tells another, another tells another, another tells another. So we've been able to grow our our community by just word of mouth. And um, they all do, you know, stick together tight, you know? And um, yeah, there's like, there's so many resources that, uh, that these guys and gals need. Um, including just a good job, right? So there's a lot of a lot of ways that we can do better as a community to support them. You know, their health, their, their you know, mental needs, like all of these things. Um, but as far as like our little sliver of, of the world, like the technical spot, you know, the job uh, piece, like, um, yeah, we're, we do that every day. And um, we do it better than anybody because we listen and we take note and we change and we tweak and we, over the years, like we don't, we don't just sit stagnant we are the best because we literally, we partner with the best and we listen and we are always open to to changing and making it better. Love it. Thanks for doing that. My gosh, it's our pleasure. Okay, anything you want to leave with? You're awesome. And uh, and this was tons of fun. I can't wait to, to eat some Mexican food and um, sip some root beer and listen to me mowing my grass. Uh, I can't wait for Friendsgiving tonight. Oh, that's in a few hours, yeah. yeah. We'll do that too. Okay, thanks for doing this. Buddy. Thanks, Jess.